Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'm going to just extract two verses of scripture from 1 Samuel 30, verse 18 and 19, and we'll get busy in the building. The Bible says in verse 18, and David, say these two words with me, recovered all. Shout it loud. Recovered all. Yes. He recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. (laughs) I'm just reading the Bible. I'm sorry. I just wonder if he thought about leaving one behind. (laughs) Verse 19. (laughs) And there was nothing lacking. That's where God is bringing you to, a place of no lack. Amen. There was nothing lacking. Neither small nor great, sons or daughters, neither spoil or anything that they had taken to them. Three words, David recovered all. David recovered all. Say this with me. It is my time time to recover all. all. Not some, some, but all. all. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands, please. Father, I thank you that every generational curse is broken today. Any generational spirit that would be diametrically opposed to our personal destinies, we thank you that you have removed it today. Father, do something exciting and explosive in our hearts. Let us say the words of the Apostle Paul together today. It's not eloquence of speech. It is the demonstration of the power of God. God, do what only you can do. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands one more time and praise him. Lord, we love you today. High five three people and tell them it's on in the building. Then you may be seated. God bless you. There's been a lot said concerning the church universally. In regards to what we have experienced in the last three years, many preachers have preached that it was a purging season. Others have said it was a reset season. Others have said it's a rebuilding season now. I was in prayer the other day and I heard these words, we are embarking on a recovery season. We're so busy about fixing stuff that I think we have forgotten how much we lost. And by the time this service ends today, many of you that have lost your joy, you're going to have your joy back. Many of you who have lost your peace, you're going to get your peace back today. Amen. 
As a matter of fact, all confusion is going to leave your mind. You're going to leave here thinking in clarity. And God's going to do a good work in your heart today. But we are here to do business today. Not business, business. I remember just a decade ago that we were busy singing songs in church like I'm getting it all back. I'm taking back everything that the enemy has stolen from me. That kind of militant attitude is coming back to the people of God. When I was thinking about recovery, I, I thought, you know, there's more than one kind of recovering. There's actually three types of recovering that I felt impressed of the Lord to share with you. Number one is this. To recover is to heal or to catch your breath. To recover is to heal or to catch your breath. You know, many times we try to move forward and we're not whole. God does not want you limping into your future. He wants you leaping into your future. Joshua chapter 5 verse 8 says that they abode in their camp or in their places till they were whole. The word whole here in the Hebrew means without fragmentation. Nothing missing. Nothing lost. They abode in their places until they were made whole. It's almost as if God told them, you are not moving until you're whole. You're not going anywhere until every private area in your life is healed. Stay right where you are until I can touch that area and you do not flinch. You're not moving until you're complete, until you are entire in your being, until you are mature enough to handle the movement of progress that I have for your prophetic future. You're not only healed up, but you grow up. There's a purpose in every pause. I'm going to say it again. There's a purpose in every pause. And some of us in this building feel like maybe God has pushed the pause button on purpose. Well, if the pause button has been pushed on your purpose, God is up to something. And he's up to something big just for you. The word whole means, the verb is translated healed. It usually means to live or to live properly. So he says you're not moving until you are whole, until you are revived, until you are restored, and until you have recovered. The second kind of recovery the Lord spoke to me is the idea of recovering something or someone. I think for too long we have embraced the idea of being islands to ourselves. Even God himself expresses his character in plurality. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. 
It is something very strong about God being a covering for his people in modes of spirit, son, and father. Father's cover. When I was praying about this, the Lord brought me to Numbers chapter 19 and verse 15 where the Bible says every uncovered vessel is an unclean vessel. I want you to hear that. Every uncovered vessel is an unclean vessel. When a vessel is uncovered, whatever is in the vessel is now vulnerable to the environment and the atmosphere it is exposed to. The purpose of covering the vessel is to preserve what is in the vessel. Come on in this building. The purpose of covering the vessel is to preserve what is inside the vessel. I believe we need to start preaching more messages like undercover. Get back under a covering. The fight in this generation is found in the last chapter of the book of Judges where the Bible says every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Had no authority, no leadership, no covering. I prayed for you this morning. I said, God, cover Quest Church. Cover every family, every husband, every wife. School has started. Cover every school that any student in our church attends. Cover it. Matter of fact, I dare you to throw your hands up and just shout, Lord, cover us. Noah lay in his tent, and you know the story. His sons discovered that he was uncovered. His sons discovered that he was uncovered. You know what I, I believe? We all, you'll always find what you're looking for. <laughs> One son saw it and came back and talked about it. They found their father Noah naked in a tent. He went outside and talked to his other two brothers. It's not what he saw that got him in trouble. It's what he said. <laughs> By uncovering someone else's past, be careful that you're not cursing your future. The Bible says when the other two brothers heard that their father was naked, I'm going to preach in a minute, but I'm going to talk to you for a while. That they walked in backwards and they covered their father's nakedness. When will believers ever get to the point that we believe the Bible where the apostle John said love covers a multitude of sin. See, if we ever got like that as believers, then we would be telling each other, I got your back. 
or we would be telling each other, I got you covered. We are so busy uncovering everybody's mess that we have forgotten the importance of love. Love will teach you to live in a realm that you've never lived before, but you have to respect love enough to show people that you know their mess that you are not about to share what they're going through with anybody else. And I believe we're coming into a season in the body of Christ that it's time to recover. Recover with authority. Recover with love. Recover with power. Recover with spiritual government. Oh, I hope you hear me today. See, when you uncover someone, you remove the cover in order to disclose the content. It is not what this boy saw. It's what he did with what he saw. Isn't it interesting that God put a mercy seat to cover the law? The law is in the ark. But above the law, there's a cover called mercy. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The man that shows mercy, the book of Romans says, shall receive mercy. And the man that shows judgment shall receive judgment. Lord, Help us to be a church that appreciates mercy. It is good. It's like Campbell's soup. And then finally, and this where this is where we will rest our attention today. To recover means to retake, to regain often involving snatching it away. Listen, some of you are going to get this revelation. You are not here today to gently ask the enemy to give your stuff back to you. My mama used to tell me when I would get in trouble, I'm about to snatch you, son. And she used this other word, by the nap of your neck. I still don't know what that means. Today, you are going to be an anointed snatcher. You are going to snatch back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. If anybody can get with that, shout hallelujah. To recover is to save from loss, to restore to usefulness. Look at our text in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and let's start with verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women that were there. They slew not any. They didn't kill them. They stole them. 
great and small, carried them away and went on their way. Who did the attack come from? The Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. The Amalekites are the eternal enemies of God. Exodus 17, 14 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the years of Joshua. I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. The Amalekites were a raiding troop of bandits that would wait until people who occupied possessions and property would leave and then they would come in and steal their stuff. There is an enemy that is not bold enough and strong enough to fight you face to face. In other words, he wants to come in behind you, surprise attack, and start taking everything that you value, everything that you love. Amalek, those that dwell in the valley, they have a nature that is animalistic. This is the kind of enemy you're facing today. I'm looking at the enemy just stealing people's stuff. Deuteronomy 25, 18 says, he attacks from the hindmost. He comes from behind you. If he's coming from behind you, then he's coming from your past. Well, I hope you hear me preaching to you. He's coming from your past. When your past starts haunting you, trying to intimidate you out of your future, you're dealing with the spirit of Amalek. Why did Amalek even have the strategy to attack God's people? What gave him the fortitude to attack God's people? I'm going to show it to you. Disobedience in leadership. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, God spoke to Saul and he said, Go and destroy Amalek and all that they have and do not spare. Slay both man, woman, infant, babies, ox, sheep, camel, donkeys. Slay everything. But Saul and the people spared Agag <laughs> and the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the fatlings, the best of the lambs, and all that was good, and he would not destroy them, but everything that was vile, that they destroyed utterly. This was an act of complete disobedience. God said, Saul, destroy Amalek and destroy Agag. He did not do what God told him to do. I pray you hear this. What you do not deal with in your family is going to come back and get you later. What you do not attack as a parent, your children are going to have to deal with. There are cycles, there are curses that are passed down through lineages, genealogies, and generations. But somebody somewhere has to get up in line and say, that's it. It stops right here. My children and my grandchildren are not going to have to fight the fights that I fought. Somebody shout, enough is enough. 
What you do not deal with, your children are going to have to deal with. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 30. So David and his men came to the city, to Ziklag. It was burned with fire. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, there they go, were taken captive. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Don't miss this part. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. I tell you what's tough. is when you're in a position of leadership, be it a husband, be it an employer, whatever it is, and you're fighting with all your might for everything to be well. For everybody to be well. And when people start dealing with stuff concerning loss, they blame it on you. It's called projection. In other words, they are not responsible enough to say, we could have done something about it as well. What you do not deal with now will come back and try to destroy you later. Where did all this take place? Ziklag. It means to be enveloped with grief, to enclose completely. It's known as operating parameters or performance limits. It's when the enemy puts limits on what you can produce and succeed at doing. Ziklag do the etymology on it, also means the press of God. God uses an experience in life to find out what's in you. Not that he doesn't already know, but you don't know. So God will allow certain things to take place in your life to put pressure on you so that you can discover what you've been carrying inside of you. And this is Ziklag. Are y'all with me so far? It is where David was when he heard the news. It's the same place of, death, of the death of Saul and Jonathan. Grief, enveloped with grief. Grief is not regret. Grief is not regret. Grief is mourning emotionally for what you have lost. It's the spirit of lamentation, lamenting. Whew. David lamented over what he lost. And there's many people in a season of mourning because of what you've lost in the last few years maybe in the last few weeks, maybe in the last few days. Grief and glory cannot co-inhabit the same vessel. Glory will demand grief leave the vessel. Ooh, Lord. Here's what David found. 
Wives are gone. Joy is now turned to confusion. His heritage is gone. Children are missing. Companions are gone. Partners left. And everything has been stolen from him that he loved. You ever felt that way? Let me ask you another way. Has anyone in here ever experienced grief in your life? And it's a pressure you feel like you cannot handle. Verse 6 says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Say this with me. I am my greatest cheerleader. There's a lot of discouragement in a lot of people in this building. You thought you would be further along in life. You thought your bank account would be looking different. You thought you would have experienced several promotions by now. You thought that your life would be all happy and rosy and nice. And it's not what you thought it was. There comes a time where people are not going to pat you on the back and tell you it's okay, brother. You're going to make it. They don't see you in your bedroom. They don't see you in your bathroom looking at yourself in the mirror, discouraged, distressed, and depressed, feeling despondent and hopeless. When no one is around, you've got to look at yourself and say, God is still with you. You are still anointed. You are still powerful. You still have purpose. You still have a prophetic future. I have been through times in my life where I have looked at myself and talked to myself and said, Rick Hawkins, you still have a mantle on your life. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. God's hand is still on you. God is for you. He is not against you. And then you got to flip the script and you got to say, I am still anointed. I am still called. I am still mantled. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Strong stuff. He encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm going to complete this message by sharing with you one last thought. There is a strategy for every success. Verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. Lord Jesus. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired not to the Lord, at the Lord. Have you ever prayed at him and not to him? When you're praying at him, you're saying things like this. Have you forgotten me? David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue the Amalekites, shall I overtake them? And God answered David and said, pursue because you will surely overtake them. And watch what God says, and without fail, you will recover all. Without fail, you will recover all. 
See, there's a strategy to getting your stuff back. And before you start pursuing, the first strategy you must undertake is getting in his presence. That's why he told Abby Athar, bring me the ephod. In other words, I don't need you praying for me as a priest. I don't need you worshiping God for me. The ephod, you, you know what it is, is an outer garment that the priest wore, but he only wore it when he was fixing to go into the presence of God. God told me this morning, worship puts you in my face. Before you do anything in the fight, before you start going after your stuff, you better get in the presence of God and learn to worship him until his presence is tangible in your room, until his presence is tangible in your car, until his presence is tangible in your house, until his presence is tangible wherever you go, you can feel God. The presence of God is paramount in our lives. And somebody said, you don't run on your feelings. And I said, no, but it's good to feel what I'm running on. I don't know about all y'all. I don't know how saved you really are. But I can tell you this, the God I serve is a God I can feel. I know when he's in the room and I know when he's not in the room. And we got to be like David and say, we're going to get our stuff back. But before we get our stuff back, we're going to worship for a while. We're going to get in a place and a posture of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. I dare you to lift your hands and tell him right now, Lord, I worship you. See, worship is an expression. Worship is an exercise. Worship is a lifestyle. Sometimes you just got to stop everything, get by yourself. I don't care if you've got to put on music. I don't care what you got to do, but you got to start worshiping. Because when you start worshiping, God starts releasing strategies for warfare. God starts speaking back to you about, listen, you about to get this back and that back and this back. I am excited about God bringing fiery worship and fiery praise back to the people of God. I remember a day when preachers would be preaching and get to talking about the presence of God and people just had to get up and start walking around. See, but we don't emphasize presence no more. We emphasize performance. We emphasize the platform, but we do not emphasize his presence. See, I didn't really come here to see y'all today. I love you and I'm glad you're here, but I came in here to put a worship on to see the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. How do you know, Pastor? Because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Everybody talking about I want his presence. I want his presence. But you won't praise him. I want to be where he is, but you won't worship him. God is about to raise up a generation of worshipers that don't care if their neighbor is worshiping or not. They don't care if they got their hands up. They don't care if they open their mouth. They gonna put their praise on all by themselves. I dare you to take 60 seconds and give God an exuberant praise. Woo! Bring me the ephod. Come on, tell your neighbor, bring me the ephod.
I got this worship. My worship is not your worship. My praise is not your praise. I can't praise him for what you've been through. I can praise him for everything he brought me through. And that's why we have those old sayings that says you can't praise him like I praise him because I've got my own praise for what God has done for me. I'm going to give you 30 more seconds to praise him until you feel Too many people living off of other folks' worship. Too many people living off of other folks' praise. And we stand there and we say, boy, I'm glad they're getting it. Boy, they, they getting theirs. Look, they getting theirs. And you ain't getting nothing. You say, Pastor Rick, now is praise really that important? Wearing that ephod of worship, is it really that important? Let me tell you how important it is. Jesus said, if you don't praise me, then the rocks will cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out in your place. The rocks will start crying out in your place. Tell your neighbor, I ain't letting no rock get my job. I'm gonna put my praise all the way on. You gonna hear me, you gonna see me. I'm gonna get on your nerves. I'm gonna get so loud, either you gonna enjoy it or you gonna move, but I ain't keeping my praise inside of me. Why do we praise him? For all he has done for us. Come on, clap your hands, lift your voice, shout to God with a voice of triumph. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we praise you, Jesus. 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 Tell your neighbor, excuse me. I'm about to get born. You remember what David said? David told his old wife that was mad at him for praising. Look at you. She was ridiculing him. Why are you dancing like that? Why are your clothes falling off? You're dancing so hard. Why, David? And David looked at her. And he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm about to do this more than you've ever seen in your life. Listen, when people look at you like it don't take all that, look back at them and say, you ain't seen all that. Because I'm about to take my praise to another. I'm going to give you 15 sanctified seconds to praise him like you love him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! 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 Hey! Thank you, Lord. Praise will shift an atmosphere. 
The spirit determines the atmosphere. The atmosphere determines the climate. The climate determines the soil. And the soil determines the production. If the spirit ain't right, nothing's going to grow. If the spirit ain't right, nothing's going to be productive. Let me stop. Woo. He said, bring me that, that Abiathar, bring me that ephod. Because I'm about to put my praise all the way on. Usually what we do is we pray, and then if we feel good about how we pray, then we start praising. That's the wrong protocol. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his, enter his what? Courts with praise. So you will never convince me that praise does not bring me to the inner court. Praise bring, brings me past the outer court and into the inner court. If you ever get a revelation of the power of praise, you will be a praiser that will not shut his or her mouth. Woo! Then after, see, he put the ephod on and he got in his presence. Then he inquired. He prayed. He did not pray until he knew he had God's presence with him. Oh, that's strong. It's strong if you get in your living room and you start worshiping God till you can feel him. Instead of just sitting on your couch and saying, God, I need this. God, I need you to do that. And God, would you do that for me? And God, help me over here. And God, help my baby. And God, help my car too. My car mess. Oh, God, help my house. Oh, God, would it let it rain and let the grass turn green. Oh, God. We won't, 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 won't. But we don't worship, 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 worship. I hear you. So after he got in his presence, then he prayed. And he inquired at God. And watch what he says. Shall I pursue? In other words, I ain't doing nothing that you don't tell me to do in prayer. I'm not moving until I hear from you. He inquired at God. And he said, shall I pursue? Everyone say this with me. Praise, Praise. prayer, Praise. pursue. Pursue. Let's say it again. Praise, Praise. prayer, pursue. One more time. Come on, say it. Praise, pray, pursue. Notice something about that. None of that is God doing it for you. None of that is God. That is all about you. If you're going to praise, you're going to praise because you want to praise. God is not going to demand you to praise. He's going to allow you an opportunity to praise. So if Ziklag means God pressing, then what is he pressing for? A praise. Then you pray. 
after you praise. Then you pursue. It doesn't say God said to him, I'm going to bring it all back to you. Because you, you worship so good and you prayed so good and I'm so impressed that I just got to give it all back to you. No, he said you pursue. And then he said, you shall recover. Say it loud. Make sure the devil hears it. Come on. Oh. All my joy coming back. All my peace coming back. All my faith coming back. All my power coming back. Shout it with me. I want it all back. And he pursued. And the Bible says David recovered all. You will never get what you don't go after. It's simple. You will never possess what you refuse to pursue. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God, I'm after you. You pursue God, you're going to find God. You pursue the joy you lost, you're going to find the joy you lost. Notice I never said people. Y'all need to hear Pastor Rick. Some of you are praying that you recover some of them relationships you had. You don't want them all back. You better ask God. Who's supposed to be in my life? Who am I connected to? Who am I assigned to? Those are the people I want to recover. But if they're not an assignment, if they're not a divine connection, I'm not sure I want them back in my life. Say it again with me. Praise Pray and what? Now tell your neighbor, I'm going for it in Jesus' name. Say it again, I'm going for it. I love what the Lord said, let's all stand. He said, and you shall overtake them and recover all. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Oh, 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 and I wonder, do you really love me? Ninety-nine. How old is she? Ninety-nine years old. Pastor's wife. Still prophesying. Still, still pursuing her purpose. Still pursuing her call, still anointed, 
99 years old bringing the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep.